Hi, I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. In today's episode, we'll meet Liz, a 37-year-old cisgendered woman who describes herself as white, straight, primarily monogamous, and very single. I'm so pleased to introduce Liz. Liz, thank you so much for being here. I'm really happy to have an opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And thank you for being brave enough to do this. Thank you. Thank you. So the first question that I ask everyone I talk to is what is your first memory of sexual desire? Sexual desire. Um, I remember being seven or eight, maybe a little older, maybe nine. uh, And I had the biggest crush on this boy named Chris, uh, who I knew through church, actually. Um, His parents were congregation members. And so my parents, they, you know, they knew each other and he was the eldest of three boys. Um, so there was a, one of his brothers, Alex, I think, who was the same age as me, but I had the hots for, had the hots for Chris. And I just remember, uh, I like the only word I can use to describe it is squirmy. Like I I felt very squirmy around him. Like this feels weird and awkward. And because I'd played with boys before like tag and, and on the swings and, you know, jungle gyms and stuff like I, I'm just kind of a tomboy. Um, so I'd played with boys before on the playground, but like, I'd never really wanted to just sit down and hold hands with one. So that was, that was, I think he was the first object of, of sexual desire, but further back now that I think about it and I'm talking about the swings, I remember sitting on a rope swing at age five or something and going, Oh, this feels good. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is, I don't know what this is, but can I do it again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I, I, I had no knowledge of body parts and why that would feel good, but you know, it's sitting on and sort of wrapping your legs around and having this, strong, sturdy knot of of rope near your clitoris and and vulva and all that. So it was, I was like, oh, this feels nice, (laughs) but I had no idea why. Um, And then a few years later, Chris was like the object of desire. Did anything ever happen with Chris? No. I mean, I would chase him around the playground and stuff, but like nothing ever came to be. What kind of conversation was there in your home? around sex. What did you see your parents doing or hear them saying? (laughs) Um, So my parents were older when they got married and had me. Uh, My my dad was almost 40 when I was born. And, um, and I'm the only child. And I learned very, very at a very young age that 
it's not that they didn't want other children, but it would have, my mother was ill uh, before she had me and it was, you know, at, at somewhat of a great risk to, to have a baby. Uh, and then when I was five, she had surgery, she had colitis. And so she has a colostomy bag and it's a little difficult to get pregnant <laughs> when you have a colostomy bag. So, um, there, it's not like, uh, it's, I didn't ever see my parents as very sexual people, but th- I also saw them being completely fine being naked in front of each other. Hmm. So there, it was very okay to be naked when I was younger. And they Um, were naked in front of you as well. uh, My mom was, my dad was never naked in front of me even. And if I was naked in front of him, it was very like, my dad felt, I think a little weird Mm -hmm. about it, you know? And even as I was growing up and like hit puberty and started, you know, having boobs and wearing bras and uh, having to shave armpits and legs and all the things um, and feeling fresh down there and all of that, he would sort of like, uh, uh, and he would see, so he would hem and haw and like not want to be part of it. And he didn't want to know about my sex life, but my mom was very open with me. You know, she, I remember her telling me when I was young, I asked her like what it's like to have a baby. Cause I think maybe somebody in our lives was pregnant and having a baby or something. And so I sort of, as a six year old, like, Oh, what's that like mom? Super curious. And, uh, and she remembered, I remember her telling me, <laughs> well, it's like having a very big poop, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously it comes out of a different part of your body. And she sort of explained the female anatomy a little bit to me, but yeah, she was like, it's like having a very big poop. And I just, so I'm now as an adult, I'm like, Oh, I totally get that. Like I've never been pregnant or had a baby, but I'm like, yeah, that was, that's intense. Um, <laughs> but so my mom was very open with me from, from when I was little. And, but at the same time it was like, yes, but we won't tell your dad. Even if we were on the phone with each other, she would sort of whisper to, you know, she'd be like, she'd ask me questions about sex like this and so it was it was a little it's it was also it sort of reiterated the like and we don't totally talk about it like yeah we didn't really talk about it how old were you when you started dating oh wow dating uh maybe 15 or so 15 16 and was that cool with them or did you have to hide it no no i never had to hide that um my uh first i guess boyfriend i didn't know how to be in a relationship like i didn't i felt i felt very uncomfortable dating uh going through puberty um mostly because a lot of my friends were talking about sex and we're 13 14 and i was like i don't want to do that yet <laughs> like i just knew in my body and in my in in myself like i didn't want to do that yet i didn't feel that that was for me. But a lot of, a lot of my friends were like, Oh my God. And then we're going to like that. We were making out and then we totally wanted to have sex, but we didn't want to cause his mom was in the other room and like they were, you know, we we're gossiping about it. And I, I also hate gossip. So I think I conflated like being sexual with somebody and gossip at a younger pubescent age. So I never wanted, I was like, I don't want to do that. Even if I maybe wanted to have sex, I definitely didn't want to gossip about it. So it was easier for me to just be like, well, I would just won't date and or have sex hmm. because everybody's going to want to know what the fuck is going on in my life. And oh, I wow. do not want to, I don't want that. 
Oh my God. It's because we never talked about it when I was little. And oh, you're <laughs> such a great interviewer. Okay. <laughs> but my first boyfriend was this guy and he was really into me and I was kind of into him and we wanted to kiss and stuff. But I was also like, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't ready to be physically intimate with anybody. I was totally okay being like a friend and emotionally intimate and like making out and stuff. But like, no. <laughs> so that's interesting. You said you weren't ready to be physically intimate, but you were okay with kissing. So where, yeah. where was the line for you between yeah. what's okay yeah. and what's not okay? I think, you know, for me, it was totally okay to kiss. It was, to and kissing felt good to me. Um, kissing was like, I mean, I sucked at it at first. <laughs> well, who doesn't? Right. <laughs> I was like, how do you use your tongue? Oh, this is weird. And I, I remember, I remember one time, I think we were playing spin the bottle at like a sleepover. I was 12 or so, 12 or 13. And there was this boy. <laughs> His, I think his name was Lucas or something else. Anyway, he, so I spun the bottle and it landed on him. And, um, this was later in the game. And so there were a lot of other people around the, they were like, yeah, French kiss, French kiss, like not just a little kiss, but like a real kiss, tongue, tongue, do the tongue. And I was like, so I was like, I don't want to do that, but I was peer pressure. <laughs> and then, um, and so I sort of went over to him and, and started to kiss him, but like, I didn't know how to make, I didn't know how to use my tongue to kiss. And so I remember sort of, I sort of went out, you know, you tilt your head and then your lips go out. Like you want to, you're opening them and you're going to kiss them. And then he stuck his tongue out. And I just remember wrapping my lips around the tongue and like sucking <laughs> like it was a lollipop. And I was like, that's I, like, as soon as it was over, I was like, that's not right. <laughs> that's not how that was supposed to happen. And he had a look of like, what the fuck just happened on his face? And, and like everybody in the room was like, what? And they laughed and some people were laughing and pointing. And I was like, this is great. I feel horrible right now. Um, <laughs> it was like an appropriate amount of embarrassment. Um, but it was also like nobody talked about it after that because it was just spin the bottle and it was just like stupid, silly stuff. And we all sort of knew each other from school. So it wasn't like a big deal. But later, once I actually wanted to kiss somebody, once I actually felt attracted to somebody and I was like, oh, I want to like hug them. Oh, maybe I want to kiss them. Oh, maybe I want to like make out with them on the couch. Um, that felt safe to me kissing felt safe making out felt safe and uh and i think <laughs> i think i'm a bit of a control freak so i think there was also a factor of like i can get good at kissing and and i can sort of control what's happening in my own body like i can control the feelings that are happening i can control the situation i still have my head about me you know and versus anything beyond that i wasn't I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Wasn't ready to not be in control of yeah. my, of my senses. Mm. So did making out include boobs? Um, a couple times. It was I'm wondering this, at what point you lose, like, does the pleasure become so much that you that feel you're, like you're losing control of your senses? <laughs> it's a really good question. Uh, I don't ever remember being very turned on by people touching my boobs and it's still not really like if there's making out and 
some clothes are coming off and sex is probably going to happen. And then it's like the boobs are part of the whole then I'm like, yeah, sure. Awesome. Then it feels great because you're sort of on that whoosh, (laughs) the sort of downward, like you pull the brakes and you're just going downhill. Like then that's great. But like, and especially going through puberty when as a, as a, as a young girl and your boobs are growing and, but they're smaller than other people's and you're changing in the locker room and like, there's so much shame that you don't realize the shame about how your body looks. So I think for me, I was just like, oh, you're, you're touching these things that are on my chest, but there was no, it's not, it never felt I don't think that's a big erogenous zone for me (laughs) personally. (laughs) That's so interesting to hear somebody else say that because I, I actually don't have a ton of sensation in my breasts, Mm. at least sexual sensation. Mm Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I felt really broken. Mm. I thought there was something really, really wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I've learned yeah. that that's actually not unusual. So yeah. for anybody out there who's listening, who feels like there's something wrong with you because you don't have a ton of sensation or you don't get turned on yeah. by breast play, you are far for like you are not alone. There are so many of us out there. It's true. That's definitely me. I, I don't think I understood how to choose other than making the choice to not do stuff. Mm. Cause that's a choice for sure. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't know how to explore and be curious and then choose something. I don't, I think it, I just felt so much safer remaining in the not column, the, the not dating, the not having sex columns. That's a really interesting <laughs> distinction. Yeah. That you can choose to explore and then pull back or you can choose to just not do it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's what I chose when I was growing up because mm-hmm. it just, it felt easier to me. Mm. Uh, I think knowing myself now as I do, cause you know yourself more when you get older, you know, I'm not sure I would have been emotionally able to handle the sort of exploration and, and getting curious and it, it felt big, you know, like my friends were losing their virginities at 14, 15, 16. And, you know, even if they did it in, in to society's fairly normal ways, like you, you know, you lose your virginity to your first boyfriend and you stay together for a little while, but then you break up and it's okay. And cause it's high school, whatever. Um, that's a, that's like a fairly, average mm-hmm. in my opinion you know it's not violent it's not shameful it's you know you're sort of of an age and it's kind of expected and you're with a committed partner and you're being you're being safe you're using protection like you're sort of quote unquote being smart about it and yet i still was like so i would see my friends even do that and i would still be like mm, this, uh, I'm not ready. Yeah. And I wasn't ready until I, at college. <laughs> like I didn't have sex for the first time until I was 21. So I want to get there, but I want to ask <laughs> okay. you one other question first, Okay, which is while you were choosing to not explore with boys mm-hmm. or with partners, were you exploring yourself? No. So not you didn't really. discover no. masturbation? Nope. How old were you when you discovered masturbation? Mm, Well, and I think there's a distinction here for me because I obviously knew about masturbation, um, people talking about it and stuff like that, but I had never really 
like tried it or, you know, maybe I touched myself, but I, you know, I'm, (laughs) I think I'm also rather stubborn and impatient. (laughs) So it was also like, I'm touching myself. Yeah. Nothing's happening. (laughs) Okay. Not, I don't want to do it then. Like (laughs) I think there was a part of me that was like, unless, unless it's, uh, immediately apparent to me that I'm going to, there's some sort of result I'm going to get out of something. I might not do something. Even if it, even if it sort of feels new and cool as I'm doing something. Um, I think, um, I think it was after I'd had sex for the first time, first few times. And then I was like, I could get a vibrator. I could get some lube and warm my fingers up. This, this could be something I do for myself. Oh, okay. That's that's fascinating. Given the fact that you said that you discovered those sensations when you were five on the rope swing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, and that was like by accident. I didn't know what it was. It's curious to me that a child in their exploration wouldn't find ways to recreate pleasure Mm. just in our childlike way, not because it was sexual, Mm. just because kids like things that feel good. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I'd never really thought, I mean, even to this day, I don't really masturbate that often. So maybe it's just, maybe I had in my past, you know, touched myself or, or, um, I mean, I've ridden a few horses as well in my day. (laughs) So like, you know, like I'm, you know, I was in Girl Scouts and we'd go on horse riding thing, expeditions or whatever as a troop. So like, maybe there were certain things like that, but I never like actively sought out ways to masturbate, even if I didn't really know what it, what it was or how to do it or like, I don't think I ever, no, I never actively sought it out until I was already having sex. So let's talk about the first time you had sex. (laughs) Yeah. What made you feel at that point? Like you were ready. Yeah. I, well, I was dating somebody in college and we had been, we had known each other for many months and, um, you know, the kind of like you stay up all night talking legit, like stay up in, in PJs, sort of just staring at each other and talking. We were doing that for a very long time before we decided to actually date. And then we were dating and sort of making out and doing some things. And then that was going on for a while before we actually decided to have sex. So it's a very, it was a very slow process for me. I needed a, it was not like, well, that's happening. It was like, it was very, I had, I thought about it. We both considered it. We talked about it beforehand. It was very like, yeah, I felt very, so like in that sense, I felt very ready because I knew who this person was and I knew who I was with this person and I knew how I felt about this person, which were very, I felt very strongly about him. I was very, you know, in love. I felt, I trusted him very, a lot. I had a lot of trust in him. So when we finally had sex, it was like, yeah, like this makes sense. It, it, it sort of, it fell into a place that made sense in our relationship because we were very committed to each other at that point. And we had, there was a part of our uh, relationship before we had sex that um, was long distance also. So it, it, it was like, I, I can rely on this person. I can trust this person. He's not going to have sex with me and then 
ditch me the next day. I knew without a doubt that that would not be the case. So, and, and when we would talk about sex, not just intercourse, not just having sex, but when we would talk about blowjobs or handjobs or, you know, going down on me or like any of the things, it was always like, he, he always, maybe he didn't say these words exactly, but he was always asking me like, well, what, well, what do you feel comfortable with? Mm. You know? And so we would try things out where I was like, well, I feel comfortable doing this. And then we would try it. And then I'd be like, yeah, that didn't work, did it? And he's like, well, I think it's because you, you know, think it has to happen this way. So like, for example, I remember um, giving him a blowjob, but like I wanted him to wear a condom, uh-huh. like, which doesn't make sense to me now because now I love giving blowjobs and I'm really good at it. And I'm like, why would I want a condom on that? Like, then you're just tasting plastic latex <laughs> stuff like, ew, um, and that doesn't taste good. <laughs> but um but that's what felt okay to me at the time because I just, I was like not ready for, for that. And so, and so he was willing to do that. Do you know? So the fact that he was willing to do that and then made me feel comfortable with any sexual act we were doing by the time we actually got to intercourse, it was like, I feel completely safe with this person. hundred percent, thousand percent. Just to offer the flip side of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is that my partner and I mm-hmm. now, I said to him right up front, I, I enjoy giving blowjobs. However, I am not open to having you come in my mouth or mm. on my face. Yeah. Um, that's just an experience that I, is like a hard red line for me. Yeah. And he was so open to that. Mm. And so he introduced condoms mm. into the blowjobs <laughs> <laughs> and he found some that don't have a bad taste. Yep. And it now it's a win-win. Like yep. he gets to have blowjobs. I enjoy giving them and I don't have to have semen in my mouth. <laughs> Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And together, 
we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Because a lot of our senses are in our face that we smell, we taste, we hear, we see. And so when you're in that part of somebody's body, that is almost more intimate to me than inter- intercourse. Hmm. Because you're you're utilizing so much more of how you uh, take in information, sensory information with your face. Uh, that's where all of your, like all five senses it, live in uh, in that part of your body. So to be near someone's dick and their balls. I mean, that's really sensitive for one, right? If I let anyone near my pussy, that's sensitive. Yeah. (laughs) I have to really know you. I have to trust you. I have to feel good about letting you in there. You have to be very okay with me telling you exactly what to do because you're near a very sensitive area of my body. So I, I find that almost more intimate and more connecting to somebody than intercourse. I mean, intercourse feels amazing. <laughs> I'll take that too. If that's on the menu, but um yeah, I almost I almost like that the oral sex more. So it sounds like your first relationship, your first sexual relationship mm-hmm. was a positive one that had Yeah. Regardless of what might have happened later because <laughs> I'm assuming you're no longer with that person. Yeah, no. That was a long time ago. <laughs> but the 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 initial experience of sex was a positive one. It sounds like it was relatively healthy. Mhm. Did your later sexual relationships follow that model? Um, not all of them. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't, I'm not just going to jump into anybody's bed, but I'm also not going to wait around for the Mr. Perfect either because I like, I like sex now. <laughs> <laughs> so it was this weird, um, but very like conscious way of sort of finding the right person. Which is weird for me to say, because then the very next person I had sex with was like not the right person at all whatsoever. (laughs) And there was a string of like these one to two night stands that I think I thought were like, these are, you know, because maybe I'd been on a couple dates with them or whatever, um, that I thought they were different people than they were. And then they ended up, you know not understand like I had a very different connection with them than they had with me and so then we would have sex for a couple times and then they'd be dating somebody else and I was like wait what (laughs) (laughs) but but I said the things to you that matter and (laughs) you said things that matter what I don't understand this and so I think it was emotionally hard for me even if it wasn't physically even if it like sexually it felt fine but but emotionally it was like oh I don't like one night stands (laughs) I'm not sure I want that um so that, yeah, that was a weird time a few years after I graduated college that like the sort of three or four years after that's how I had sex. And, and it kept repeating itself until I got to a point where I was like, I need to not, <laughs> I need to not do that. And so, um, so I kind of, I stopped having sex for a while. I stopped going on dates. And, uh, then when I met my now an ex, but other long-term relationship. Um, and we were together for quite a long time. It was very, it, it, it made me recall the feelings I had with my first boyfriend. And I was like, Oh, I know you and I can trust you. And this feels 
right. And I feel like I can tell you things and it doesn't feel like you're holding anything back and it doesn't feel shameful. It doesn't feel um, embarrassing in my gut. I never felt like I had to be somebody else or I had to say other things to this person. So when I met my ex now, who's, um, but his name is Andre. When I met Andre, it was just like, oh, click, boom. I know, I know you. And that was almost six years that we were together. So that was, that was, that's the longest relationship I've been in. And, and that was very healthy sex. He was very respectful of women and very respectful of my body. And I was very respectful of his. And, but we would also like shave each other's pubic hair <laughs> and do like fun relationship things, <laughs> like, awesome. awesome. like sexy things together. And, um, uh, you know, yeah, it was, it was, it was very, yeah, it was very healthy. Um, what kinds of fun, sexy actually. things did you do together? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, um, uh, I, I remember we went into this toy sex toy shop and they had like, I guess it's a vibrator, but it's like you sort of wear it like over your underwear or under your underwear maybe. And it has like a little, um, thing. So, it, so it looks like a butterfly and then it's sort of like at the butterfly's mouth, which is near your clit. It sort of has like a little thing and it, so it touches, it's touching your clit, but just like, just barely. And then there's a remote control that can turn it on and turn the volume up and stuff. So like we used to do that. <laughs> Out in public? Yeah, but like not like any old day out in public. <laughs> but like if we were if we were going to a a friend's birthday party or um we knew we were only gonna be out for like a couple hours or whatever and then we'd come in or like if we went to go see the movies together or you know, something like that where um although at the movies it was kind of risque because it's kind of you know, it, it sounded like what a, what a phone sounds like when it's buzzing, like and it's going <laughs> off. So I'm sure if you're in the movies and somebody's phone is going off, you're going to be like looking around trying to find whose phone is going off. But so that was a little, <laughs> was a little risky. We'd talk to each other too. Like even if we weren't, like if we were physically exhausted because of the days we were having, because life, <laughs> um, but we would talk to each other about like, you know, how last time we had sex and you did this thing with your finger. Yeah, I really liked that. So we just like say things like that to each other. He bought me sexy underwear. He bought me like this really nice. I still have it. It's like he went to Italy with his grandfather and he brought back like really sexy, nice Italian Ooh. fabric underwear. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, he treat. I mean, he treated me with a lot of respect um, and and thought of me as a sexy person. So that felt good. <laughs> that is, that's such an interesting thing that when our partner thinks of us as a sexy person mm -hmm. and treats us that way, there is an effect <laughs> on how we think of ourselves. So mm. can you talk a little bit about how that affected you? Yeah. I, I mean, do you think of yourself as a sexy person in general? No, Let's start there. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good place to start. I, I don't, generally think of myself as a sexy person. Like that's not the word I would use to describe me. I would think I'm adorable or I'm charming or, and those are all really like nice, warm words, but sexy is like, it's a different level. I, like I felt sexy when he would find, like he would say I'm sexy. It was never like, Oh, now I'm sexy. But uh, but it did make me feel, well, powerful, yes. But also, I think there's a, 
a specific kind of empowerment that comes when you know, cause I knew that he had my back. Mm. So it was like, I feel powerful, but not in a like, ha, 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 I have all the power. It wasn't that kind of power. It was like a sturdy, steady, like I got this. I remember when I was going through my time of, of intense sexual exploration mm-hmm. and I was working with a really great coach. Um, and I said to her at one point, I don't want to go through this and feel like my validity as a sexual person is based on what other people say to me, like on other people finding me sexy. And yet at the same time, I didn't receive the appropriate mirroring as a child Mm -hmm. that would allow me to think, oh, I'm a person of value. I'm a person who others would be interested in or who would be um, attracted to. And that needed to come from somewhere. And so for a while, it was really, really important to me to find other people who could say that to me so that in a healthy way, so that I could begin to take that in and see it for myself. I think that we have this sort of odd relationship in this culture right now Mm -hmm. with outside validation where people are like, it's, we don't need it at all. It's entirely not necessary. I have to do it all for myself. Except that if you never learned those lessons to begin with, you kind of can't do it all for yourself. No. Yeah. And I think there's certain things that we, we can't really learn about ourselves unless we're interacting with other people. So I, I, yeah. And I think sexually, um, if you lived in just the feedback loop of yourself, like I'm masturbating, I like the way I'm masturbating. This is all good, positive feedback, but that's like not a real feedback loop. (laughs) You need to hear somebody tell you like, Oh, sweetie, (laughs) I like your ass. (laughs) You know, you need to hear that because then you're like, Oh my, my ass. What? I I forgot about my ass, you know, like, cause you can't hold all the thoughts in your head at the same time. Mm. You mentioned that your your last relationship ended yeah. a few years ago. Mm-hmm. What has your sort of sexual experience <laughs> been in those years? Oh. How are you handling being single? Oh, I don't think I'm doing very well. <laughs> I've had uh, a couple of amazing sexual encounters in the last few years. And, um, they are not with people who are able to commit to a relationship. So there is a bit of like, I am very single. It doesn't mean I'm not having any sex, but it's pretty, it's, I'm pretty sure it's, you know, yeah, actually all of the people that I've had sex with since breaking up with Andre have been with people who are not ready to be in like committed big, you know, long-term relationships. They're with people who are like, totally I mean I respect them and they're you know we have respect and love for each other but like they don't want to be my boyfriend or or partner or husband or anything like that I just I I like connecting with people um and and unfortunately either sex will happen and it's only happened maybe three or four times in the last handful of years so I have sex basically on average like annually. <laughs> I have sex like once a year now. Um, masturbate often because I've since learned how to <laughs> like that. I like it and I have my vibrators and it's all good. But like, um, yeah, no, I am actually looking for a relationship, but I, I think I'm, 
I don't know how to like date. I'm such a person that connects, like I really connect with people. If, if we connect on various levels and we are both wanting to progress a relationship together um, and, and do the work, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm already there. Relationship-wise, not having a lot of luck, yeah. which is unfortunate because I think I would make an excellent partner. Um, I'd still, we'd still have to work on it, and I'm not afraid of that work at all. So eh, we'll, well see. I will, I will wish that for you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. So the name of this podcast mm. is Good Girls Talk About Sex. Mm-hmm. So what did those words mean to you, if anything, when you were young? And what do the words good girl mean to you now? I think uh, growing up, good girl was like, you know, good girls don't have sex. <laughs> I think that was part of it. But even if they do have sex, it's like they have sex for the right reasons. So there's like, there's no, like good girls don't make mistakes when oh, it comes to sex. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. They think about it. They know who they are. They're making like conscious choices. They're never just like, ah, oh, fuck it. <laughs> never so it's okay for good girls to have sex, but they have to be mature yes. and thoughtful yeah, about it. Yeah, the mature. Okay. There was, in my mind, there was always like, a good girl is somebody who's mature, who doesn't fly by the seat of her pants. Like she's really, she's thinking about what she's doing and, and why she's doing it. Absolutely. And maybe probably a little pious and probably judging other people. <laughs> You're having sex already. Ugh. <laughs> Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing. There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. 
Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we let Liz go, let's do the quick five. Five quick questions that we'd usually be too polite to ask even our best girlfriend. Approximate number of sex partners. 20, 22. Do you have sex during your period? No. No. Because you don't want to? Yeah. I usually, um, my periods are very uh, heavy and, and rather intense and I feel very tired. Mm. They take a lot of energy out of me. So there, there's not a lot. <laughs> forget sexual desire. There's not really a desire to do much of anything other than like <laughs> consume chocolate <laughs> and and live under a blanket. So, I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> do you have hair down there or are you bare? I'm very hairy. Very. I have hairy armpits. I have a hairy pussy. I've, I only shave my legs when, cause I have very dark hair and I only shave my legs when, um, like it's really hot outside and I'm all I'm going to be wearing is shorts. So, so you don't trim it or do anything. Uh, I trim, especially around the, like the clit area. Cause that's where most of my hair grows. Um, and that's, it's just for, you know, health, like for, um, hygiene reasons. I don't want too much hair and fluid and things gathering in one place. Cause then that's, yeah. How much noise do you make during sex? Um, a medium amount. I'm not super quiet, but I'm also not very loud. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could live with other people around me, thin walls and <laughs> we'd be fine. It wouldn't be a huge problem. <laughs> do you prefer to be the giver or receiver of sexual pleasure? Ooh, that's tough. Cause I like both. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think when I first started having sex, I wanted to be the giver because I was more in control of it. Yeah. And as we've discussed, <laughs> uh, that was a thing for me. But, um, I think now in my life, I, I, it's just, it's reciprocal. It's, it's kind of like a beautiful exchange to be able to give and receive. So I like both. <laughs> Awesome. Liz, thank you so much. This has been so much fun and I'm so grateful to you for doing it. I'm grateful that you're talking about this stuff. It's important. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Because good girls do talk about sex. Oh yeah. With, with pleasure and and dignity. (laughs) Exactly. That should be the tagline for the show. Good girls talk about sex with With pleasure and and dignity. dignity. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts. Or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash good girls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, 
I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life.